Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. Um, As we now have the few Bibles back, um, that's on page 1164 of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 15. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's pray. Father, we ask uh, once again this week as we gather together as your people that you would speak to us now through your word, by your spirit, and that you would grant us soft hearts to hear what you would have to say to each one of us. Let, no, let not one of us leave this place without having heard from you this morning. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When American Minister Joe Wright was um, asked to pray uh, at the opening of uh, the uh, new session of the Kansas uh, Senate in 1996, everybody was expecting the usual sort of uh, bland, um, affirming, um, uh, uh, just nice sort of prayer. Um, (laughs) Instead, what he prayed resulted in one member walking out in protest Uh, And it resulted in numerous uh, angry, impassioned responses to his um, message of intolerance and his extreme 
radical views. I'm, I'm quoting there what some of the uh, people said in, in response to his prayer. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me read it to you now. I'll put it up on the screen. This is what he prayed. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. Lord, we know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we've done. We've lost our spiritual equilibrium and we have inverted our values. He went on, we confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and we've called it moral pluralism. We've worshipped other gods and we have called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We've killed our unborn and called it choice. We've shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We've abused our power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We've polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. This is Psalm 139 he's quoting now. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless, he goes on to pray for, for the politicians. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. And he asks it in the name of Jesus, the living Savior. Intolerant, extreme, radical, right wing. And what is it about spiritual truth that so riles people, gets under their skin? I mean, if that was the response back in 1996, imagine what it would be like today. That is brave, it is honest praying. You could say that Minister Joe uh, Wright was a man who called it like he saw it. He called it like he saw it. Not unlike the Apostle Paul, who we've been tracking through in this letter to two Corinthians. We saw last week, didn't we, how Paul is, is he's getting to the end of his letter, but he's also really getting to the end of his tether um, with the Corinthians. The gloves are coming off. He's exasperated. He's being more direct. He is calling it like he sees it to them. So grab your Bibles, turn back uh, with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, uh, page um, uh, 1164, uh, 1164. And just before we get going in, in chapter 11, look back to where we finished last week at the end of chapter 10. Let me just give you a quick recap, especially if you, if you weren't here. Because Paul has been um, giving an unashamedly direct defense of, of his apostolic credentials, if you like, his authority. Um, he, he's been unashamed about that. 
And he's been arguing um, in, at the end of chapter 10 that there is, there is uh, bad boasting and there is good boasting. There is bad boasting. Bad boasting is a sort of boasting that boasts in self. It's motivated by pride. Uh, and then there is good boasting. There is good boasting that is, is motivated by love. And its object is the Lord Jesus, our, our greatest treasure. And he's been saying how his boasting was the good, uh, good kind. And that's why he emphatically can say in verse 17, uh, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. <clears throat> but now as we move into what we know as, as chapter 11, Paul realizes that he's going to appear He's going to appear like he's engaging now in the wrong kind of boasting, the the sort of bad boasting that he's just been warning against. But he's got to do something because uh, he wants to make sure that um, uh, the the Corinthians don't misinterpret him and and accuse him of, 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 you know, another thing to add to what they've been accusing him of, of and having a go at him about. You know, this time he's inconsistent. He says one thing and he does another. So he says, now this boasting, if you like, this boasting you're about to hear from me, it is, it's firmly tongue-in-cheek, it's, it's ironic, it's, <laughs> it's sarcastic. Ever heard that said about the word of God, that there is sarcasm in the word of God? We're seeing it here from Paul. It's, it's foolish talk. Take a look then at verse 1 of, of chapter 11. Paul says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, uh, but you're already doing that. He's already begun. We know that. We've been seeing it a little bit. It's going to come more and more through chapter 11. In other words, please keep bearing with me, Paul says, as I play the fool. I did wonder uh, about whether to sort of play the fool throughout the whole of, the, of this sermon, but Deb's warned me against it. She said it might not be quite uh, helpful to sort of go along that, along that vine. So I rode back from that a little bit. But Paul says here, please bear with me as I play the fool. It's almost like he's saying, look, I, I don't know what else to do. The foolishness of those false teachers, it, it's leading you astray. I'm desperate here. You're being led astray, and, and since you obviously listen to them, well, I'm going to engage in a little foolish boasting of my own in order to help you see the error of your ways. But it is so important to realize that Paul isn't just on a power trip here. This isn't just a power play from Paul. Paul's motivation here is a fear that, that the church that he loves so much is going to be led astray. So if you look down at verse 3 and 4, in verse 3 and 4, Paul says, uh, but I am afraid, he says, just, just read on, I am afraid that your minds may somehow be led astray. And verse 4, at the end of verse 4, you, put, you will put up with it easily enough. Led astray because they accept false teaching all too readily. They will listen to the gurus of the culture. And they will allow that teaching to water down their devotion and their commitment to the Lord Jesus. This this concern that the church he loves will be led astray, it runs right through these verses. And, And as I read them and reflected on them this week, I began to sense, I think, a tone of pleading, a tone of loving desperation um, in Paul's words. Don't be led astray. Please, please listen to what I have got to say. If, if you have been a Christian for more than five minutes, um, I'm sure you will have your own stories of people you know who have been led astray. Uh, I think back to some of my friends uh, from my, my church youth group. 
Um, I think back to some of my friends from the, the Christian union that I was involved in um, at, at school. I think back to some of the young people that came through the first youth group that I, that I helped to lead uh, when I had a leadership responsibility in a church. One or two are still going strong in the Lord. Many, many have, have been subtly led astray. They are living what we might call nice, comfortable, Western, middle-class sort of existences, whatever that is, I don't know, but there we go. You know what I mean. They're living, on the surface, apparently nice lives, but they're still living in, in rebellion to their loving creator. They're living without any reference to him. And a few have even chosen radically different paths. Uh, and through their words, their actions, their Facebook posts that I, that I see from, from, from time to time, they are living a life that is completely contrary to the faith that they once professed. It's heartbreaking. Maybe you can identify more personally. Maybe you, like me, had a, had a season of pulling away uh, yourself and, and, and sort of sensing that you were being led in, in, in a different direction. And struggling with that. Maybe you feel that pull uh, in a direction now. If you are, know this, you are not alone. You're not alone. It happens to all of us at some point or another. We all have that pull from time to time. Maybe you have family members who have seemingly turned their back on the Lord and, 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 and appear to be pursuing a different path. Well, once again, folks, this is called gospel for a reason. There is good news in these verses uh, that we are going to look at this morning. It's good news for you, there is good news for others, and it's in the form, really, what Paul, I think, is giving us here is very practical advice on how to avoid being led astray. How to avoid being led astray. Here's what Jesus, through Paul, uh, would say to us. First, accept the love and help of those who care most about you. If you want to avoid being led astray, Accept the love and the care of those who care most about you. So look down at um, at verse 2. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Folks, if I was to ask you to come up with one word to describe your church, one word to describe St. John's, what would, you, what would you come up with? Or if you're visiting, you know, your, your church. Now, I'm not going to ask for feedback at this point, so don't worry, you can keep it, <laughs> you can keep it uh, up here. But one word, what would it be? One adjective to describe the church. Maybe you'd come up with loving, maybe friendly, uh, maybe biblical, uh, maybe vibrant. I hope they're positive words, <laughs> but it may be a negative word that's come to mind. You may be coming up with a word like confusing or uh, lonely. It might, be an, it might be a negative word. But whatever word you have come up with, <laughs> I'm willing, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I'm willing to, uh, to if I were a betting man, to place a, a rather large bet on the fact that the word you have not come up with is virginal. That's probably not the first word that's coming to your mind when you're thinking about the church. Uh, But this is what's on Paul's mind. What's he going on about? Well, he sees the church in these verses. Uh, He sees himself, rather, uh, in in these these, uh, verses um, as the church's 
spiritual father, if you like. And like any loving, honourable dad, he is committed to the task of trying to keep his daughter pure until she is married. In other words, he cares so much about every member of that Corinthian church that he will do anything he can to protect them, including engaging in a little foolishness now and then, so that they are ready for the return of Jesus and that great marriage feast. That's what's going on. And friends, we need to be honest here. Because there is something in each one of us, isn't there, that, that sort of loves um, uh, affirmation. We, we, we love to be affirmed by each other. We love it when, when, when we say nice things to each other. Um, and kind things. And, and that makes us feel good and, 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 and special. And we need that. We need that. As the body of Christ, we need to work hard at building each other up. We need that. However, if that's all we do, then we're going to be in trouble. Because the truth is there are not always positive and affirming things to say about me. There aren't. And guess what? There are not always positive and affirming things to say about you guys either. Sometimes we need to be challenged. We need to be corrected, maybe even rebuked by a loving father, a gentle family member, a close, a trusted friend. All of us need people in our lives who will say difficult things to us. In love, yes. In love and gentleness, yes. But who will nevertheless go to places that we need to be taken. And we need to be able to hear such things. I wonder, do you have such people in your lives? Do you have people who will love you enough to warn you, to challenge you, maybe, to help you process difficult times, to help you assess those crossroad moments, maybe even to correct foolish mistakes? Will you accept the love, the help of those who care most about you, your family, your close friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Will you love me enough? Will you love me enough that if you see something in me that's not right, if you see something in me that that you are concerned about, you'll lovingly come to me and you'll ask me about it. You'll challenge me and you'll help me and keep me from being led astray, from living faithfully, from leading faithfully. For the Lord Jesus. Sometimes, of course, the family members that we, uh, that we love, the close friends that we dearly love, uh, they, they won't listen. And I think the challenge here from this principle Paul is talking about is that we keep loving, we keep caring in every other way possible. So that those we are jealous about, those who we love most, will know that we have their best interests at heart. First then, accept the love and the help of those who care most about you. Second, Paul says, engage your mind. Engage your mind. This is verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I wonder if you remember the, the key point uh, from, from last week. 
that, that key point was to, that, that to, to, to know God, uh, uh, to love him, to, 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 to treasure him above all else is the most important thing. That we come to know him, that we love him, that we treasure him. And, and, and if we do that, it's okay to boast in the Lord. Do you remember that? Well, Paul says, guess what? Your mind is crucial in all of that. What you do with your mind is crucial. And if you don't engage your mind along with all the emotion of your sincere and and, and pure devotion, if you don't engage mind and emotion, then there's a big chance that you'll be led astray. That's what happened with, with, with Eve, Paul says. Satan got in her mind. She didn't think it through. She was deceived, and moments later, her and Adam were past the point of no return. Well and truly led astray. So here's the question for you Do you engage your mind? Do you engage your mind? Christian, it's, it's absolutely vital. Both what you think and, and how you think it, if you like. What we think and, and how our, our, our sort of theological convictions, for want of a better phrase, are formed. And you say to me, John, I'm not a theologian. And I would say back gently and lovingly, rubbish. Rubbish, we're all theologians. We're all theologians. Even the atheist is a theologian of sorts. It's just that his theology says, do you know what? I, I don't believe there is a God. That's my theology. There is no God. Now, true, we're not all theologians, are we, in a technical or academic sense. And true, some of us spend longer thinking about God than others. But we are all theologians. And as one uh, Reformed pastor puts it, he says, the issue for Christians is not whether we are going to be theologians, but whether we are going to be good theologians or bad theologians. And a bad theologian doesn't engage his mind. So, yes. We don't all need to digest one of these doorstop. Uh, look at that, it's chunky, isn't it? That You know, it looks good on the shelf, but we don't all need to, to digest that, do we? The good doorstop, that's Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, thousands of pages. But look at this one. Doesn't look quite as intimidating, does it? It's basically the same thing. It's edited by his son. It covers 20 of the most important topics. It's 20 basics every Christian should know. It just helps us think things through we need to engage our minds important topics on what we believe if we're not thought through on these topics if we if we don't, can't uh, um, uh, understand them if we don't have a conviction about them if we're not able to discuss them about what we believe about jesus about his word the bible about sin about death about heaven about hell the resurrection, all, all these topics are in here. I mean, look, I know not all of us, not all of us can read, and, and, and all of us, are, our reading abilities are at different levels. But it's not just reading. We can listen to things. We can, we can discuss things together as a, as a church. There are, there are age-appropriate, there are ability-appropriate uh, things that we can do so that we can have convictions about what we think and we can articulate those when we need to. But here's the point. We must engage our minds as much as we are able to. 
Not as Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, so um, uh, that it becomes an end in itself, you know, that the, 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 the gaining of knowledge and the gathering of knowledge is just an end in itself and it puffs us up. No, we don't do it because of that, but that we might be mutually built up together and therefore we are protected, protected from being led astray, led astray from this sincere, this pure devotion to Jesus. First then, accept uh, the love and help of those you care most about. Secondly, engage your mind. Third, prioritize truth over tolerance. Prioritize truth over tolerance. Take a look at uh, verse 4. Verse 4 says this, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. When truth was at stake, uh, Paul, it would seem, was profoundly intolerant. For Paul, there was only one Jesus, one spirit, and one gospel. But unless we engage our minds over why this is important, we will always be susceptible to compromise. We will dismiss truth in the name of tolerance and unity and inclusivity. All those things that Joe Wright prayed in that prayer at the start. We will do one thing and we will call it another. Now, if we want to be led astray, that's fine. But if we want to love faithfully and follow the Lord, maybe not so much. I'll give you an example. Uh, American uh, Bible teacher Chuck Swindle tells of the time he went to a church in, uh, in an area where he was visiting. He was about to leave the, leave the Marine Corps. He was looking for a church to visit. And he, he, he looked them up. He chose this huge traditional church. He walked in and he was met by these pictures um, on the wall. Huge pictures uh, of, of, of the faces of, of famous, uh, famous and influential people. They were arranged in this great sort of panorama. And so there was Mahatma Gandhi. There was Abraham Lincoln. There was Jesus. Uh, uh, there was a, a philosopher who he thought was Socrates. There, was, uh, there were presidents. There was, there was Eisenhower. Um, and above them all, in these, these great bronze uh, letters, were the words, You are all the sons of God. Dot, dot, dot. Galatians three twenty six. Nothing offensive about that on the one hand. Nothing. It's inclusive. It's biblical. You know, there's the verse, Galatians three twenty six. It's inclusive. It's tolerant. Chuck Swindle, though, was a bit unnerved, and he got his Bible, and he picked up his Bible, and he turned to Galatians 3.26, and he read, You are all the sons of God by faith in the Lord Jesus, or by faith in Jesus Christ. These men weren't sons of God unless they were in Christ Jesus. It was a half-truth. It was an implied half-truth. Do you see that? And it's a subtle, it's a subtle shift And that's why our minds need to be switched on. That's why we need to be engaged. Today, Christianity has been infected by our pluralistic society. You know, if we do not like one thing, what do we do? We choose another. If we don't like one thing, we'll just choose another. We have it on our TV screens. We have it in our shops, our supermarkets, just just throughout. And so if you are not happy, if you're not happy with the Jesus of the evangelical, orthodox, mainstream Christian faith, do you know what, guys? Don't worry. Just choose another one. Choose another Jesus. Choose the liberal Jesus who only talks about love and inclusivity. 
Choose the revolutionary Jesus who will justify your desire to fight and take up arms and overthrow the oppressor. Break the system. Choose a cultic Jesus. Choose a Jesus who's a little bit God, uh, but not fully God, uh, uh, or, or not God at all. Choose an Islamic Jesus, great prophet. Choose a Christmas baby asleep in the manger, Jesus, who never grows up and dies on a cross. Choose a political Jesus, the one who would only vote Tory, while you conveniently forgot there's another Jesus who will only vote Labour. And on and on and on it goes, doesn't it? Friends, the only Jesus who counts is the one who is revealed in these pages of Scripture. The one whom Paul and the apostles testify about and proclaim. And it is frightening today to observe the ease which contemporary Christianity tolerates false gospels. It seems to me that as long as we mention the name Jesus, as long as we throw in the word Bible somewhere, half quote that verse, as long as we accept each other, as long as we endlessly keep listening to each other without ever gently challenging or referring back to what Jesus says in here, then we somehow think that we're living faithfully and we're fulfilling the Great Commission. But friends, at the end of the day, there is only one Jesus. And I have to come back to these pages and look at it. This isn't John Teasdale's Jesus. He's saying things to me here. I can't let my projections of him come onto these pages. I have to let him come to me through, through these words and through his spirit. And if the Jesus we follow is something other than the all-sufficient, the all-satisfying saviour, the rescuer from sin and death, then he is a false Jesus. As one commentator says, it's a false Jesus who promises us nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity. That's a, that's a false Jesus. If all you're being promised is good stuff, In this life, that's a false Jesus. He says it's a false Jesus who guarantees you heaven, just heaven, you're in. That's a false Jesus who never says anything about judgment and hell. Look at what he says in his word. It's a false Jesus who only ever talks about love and tolerance and never mentions sin and idolatry. That's a false Jesus. And it's a false Jesus whose saving work on the cross needs to be added to by my good deeds by my rituals, by my merits. That's a false Jesus. There is only one Jesus, and the truth about him should always be prioritized over tolerance. Friends, I'm running out of time here. Um, let me try and be briefer with these last, uh, last three. Uh, the fourth way that we can uh, avoid being led astray is to reject superficiality. This is verse uh, Verse 5. Verse 5 says this, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles, super apostles. Uh, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. What Paul is saying here is that if we are going to be sucked in by, by human displays of brilliance, um, today, you know, read gifted, engaged, uh, engaging preachers, read, um, you know, snazzy websites, read swept-up visuals, um, uh, read great music, read huge crowds, read popularity. If we are going to be be, be sucked in by all that, style over substance, if you like, without checking whether there is any depth, without checking whether there is any faithful consistency with the word of God, if we're just going to go with the superficial level and not apply any discernment, then Paul says we, we run the very real risk 
of being led astray. We need to look beyond the surface. Fifthly, and again somewhat linked, we need to be wise to those who exploit us for, for their own ends. This is what 7 through to 12 um, is all, all about. We need to be wise to those who exploit us to their own ends. Let me read that for us. Uh, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you? Do you see he's concerned about them? By preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I'm not benefiting, he's saying. I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and I needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. I wasn't exploiting you. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I'll continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Do you hear this desperation again? Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do, he says. I love you. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. To summarize Paul's foolish talk here, what he's saying is that those who truly love you, those who who truly care for you, will never exploit you or abuse you for their own ends. They won't do it. They won't use you. They won't treat you as a commodity. Rather, like Paul, they will serve you. And they will make great sacrifices for you to ensure that you remain faithful and are not led astray. So we need to be discerning of those in authority over us, folks. In one sense, you need to judge me. You do. You need to judge me. You need to sit there and judge me and make sure that what you see is what you get. You need to to judge Mike and I. You need to make sure that we are, are authentic And that what we say up here, week in, week out, is consistent with what is in here. And that whilst acknowledging that our lives aren't perfect, that at least there is a consistency that we are tracking in the direction that we claim to be as we love you and as we try and lead you to the best of our abilities. If there is ever a sniff that something, a sniff that something we are doing is, is exploitative or abusive, You need to speak up and speak out. We need to be wise as a church, as a wider church, but as a a local family church as well, to those who would exploit us just to feather their own reputation, their own nest. Uh, And finally then, Paul, in all of this, says we need to recognize the enemy's tactics. We need to recognize the enemy's tactics. This is the end of the, the, the bit that we heard read earlier, verse 13 through to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. I find this chilling. I find it chilling. Paul goes on, it's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Friends, if if this doesn't unsettle us, just a little bit, then I'm not sure we're reading it right. When Satan is at work, he's not going to appear as some devil with horns and a pitchfork, 
easily identifiable. He's not going to look like Darth Maul from Star Wars or some Lord of the Rings, Sauron-esque kind of personification of evil. Not according to Paul here. I mean, if he did, we'd, we'd know, wouldn't we? And we'd go, oh, there's old Nick, we'll give him a wide berth. He's going to look just like you. And he's going to look just like me. He'll be pretending to be a Christian. He'll be pretending to be a Christian minister. He'll be pretending to point you in the direction of the real Jesus. A few quotes to, to end. There's a great line in the, uh, in the 1996 film, The Usual Suspects. You may not have seen it. but this, this, uh, It's a film about deception in many ways, but uh, this is one of the lines from it. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he didn't exist. Is that true of us? Biblically, that's true, because he's pretending to be one of us. Or if you like your C.S. Lewis and uh, uh, his book, The Screwtape Letters, where a senior demon um, is giving advice uh, to a junior demon on, on how, to, how to, to be the best demon he can be, if you like, he says this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Church, this is the tactic of the devil to lead us astray. And we need to recognize it. It's rarely ever a sharp 90 degree turn to the right or to the left or even back the way you came. It's normally just a subtle deviation by a degree or two. Until suddenly, miles down the road, years down the line, we're so far off from where we need to be. It's dangerous arrogance to think that the devil isn't real. Or that we could be immune to his tactics. We have to be alert and be watchful. We're not immune to the devil's tactics, but... If we can learn to recognize them, if we're wise to those who would exploit us, if we reject superficiality, if we prioritize biblical truth over tolerance, if we engage our minds, and if we accept the love and the help of those who care most about us, then by God's grace, by God's grace, we'll be on the way to remaining faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that Paul um, is quite hard-hitting here. Uh, we sense the, the desperate, pleading tone of his words. Desperate times may be calling for desperate measures as he engages in this foolishness. But Lord, we would ask quite simply this morning that you would help us to be wise to the signs that we could be being led astray. We remember those words of Joe Wright's prayer. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for all the times that we justify our actions, for all the times that we try and excuse what we should not excuse. 
Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be discerning. Help us to love each other, to love this world. Lead us, Lord, in all truth. We pray it for your name's sake. Amen.